Section thirty eight of Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph by Francis Sheridan. Volume three continued. You see, continued my brother, that by this declaration she laid me under a double tie of secrecy. As I had no conception that Falkland could ever be brought to think of marrying her, I thought myself bound not to injure her in his opinion, and therefore religiously kept my promise. Falkland was not then in England, but when he returned and came to visit me at Sydney Castle, just at the time you parted from your husband, he spoke of Miss Birchill in a manner which, though it convinced me he had a regard for her and wished to see her happy, yet was it far from alarming me on his own account. I therefore should have thought it the highest baseness and cruelty to have hurt her in his esteem. I have never had the least intercourse either by letter or otherwise with Miss Birchill since we parted. I make no doubt but she has dispensed her favours wherever her inclination has led her, and you see she has had the good fortune to keep all her amours secret but what hope can there be that such a profligate will keep her faith to one man though that man is the most amiable in the world oh brother what a scene of iniquity you have disclosed i would to heaven you had kept the horrid secret to yourself or divulged it in time enough to have prevented the misery into which i unhappy that i am have precipitated your friend but i ought not to blame you you acted agreeably to the dictates of honour detestable woman i cried in the bitterness of my heart i do not wonder at her cautioning me against letting you into my design of urging mr falkland to marry her i then little knew the reason you had for the opposition she said you would give to this fatal match everything fell out to her wish and coincided to promote her successful guilt your absence from london mine and my mother's urgency and the too generous yielding of our dear unhappy falkland i burst into tears my heart was torn with anguish and in that instant my tenderness for him revived sir george strove not to comfort me he was too much affected himself i have but one hope said i and that is the extraordinary love she has for mr falkland and his uncommon merit which may probably secure to him the continuance of it you know not what you say answered my brother the merit of an angel could not secure the fidelity of such a heart as hers her love is gross a new object will always have charms for her had i been as credulous as falkland i should have thought myself the idol of her soul so lavish was she in her expressions of tenderness is it not strange though i asked that with so loose a mind she should have so long preserved an attachment to mr falkland for most certainly her affection to him has at least been sincere her affection to his estate answered my brother has i believe all along been sincere do you not know she is a beggar 
i told him in this she has imposed on him to answer her own ends in engaging him the more firmly to keep her secret for to my knowledge she had seven thousand pounds as i was informed by lady v who knew her circumstances sir george vented two or three curses on her head i am not surprised at any instance of her falsehood said he she is made up of deceit such characters as hers are not uncommon but none of them ever fell in your way before and i hope never will again if you will look back on her whole conduct however it may surprise you you will find there is nothing inconsistent in it she is only a sly rake in petticoats of which there are numbers that you good women would stare at if you knew their behaviour she considers men just as the libertines of our sex to women she likes for the present she seduces her inclinations cool towards an old lover and are warmed again by a new face she retained not falkland long enough to grow tired of him and therefore possibly still preserved some tenderness for him indeed his uncommon attractions must have made an impression even on her heart but this did not hinder her from indulging her inclinations elsewhere you must throw into the account too that she had by accident got a sort of hold on him of which by my mother's indulgence and some other concurring circumstances she hoped one day or other to avail herself with so pretty a person as she has and the fortune you tell me she is mistress of do you think she could have failed of marrying creditably if that had been her view no no she meant not to confine herself her passion for falkland whether real or pretended gave a colour to her preserving that liberty in the licentious use of which she placed her happiness nor would she in the end have confined herself within the bounds of marriage if an immense fortune had not sweetened the restraint i pray heaven it may answered i tis all we have now to trust to you have given me an idea of a character which i thought was not in the female world i own replied sir george i live in perpetual fears of her relapsing into vice a woman without principle sydney is not to be relied on love if in such a breast it can merit that name even towards the most deserving object is never permanent fear and even shame are subdued by repeated crimes what hold then remains interest alone where that happens to interfere but if detection can be avoided even that can have no farther influence sir george took his leave of me in order to go home to dress but i was not to say a word of his morning visit so that i found i needed not to be under any apprehensions of reproaching lady sarah with her behaviour towards me for he meant not to let her know he was informed of it so much the better i should be extremely sorry to be the occasion of any difference between them they came at the appointed hour i entertained them magnificently and we were all harmony and good humour when dinner was over i told them they must not be surprised if we should have a visit 
from our West Indian relation in the evening, for that it was very probable he would call, and if I should be denied he would never forgive me as he possibly might find it out. Lady Sarah looked frightened, and said she would not stay, but Sir George declared he would arm himself with a few bumpers and stand his ground. I affected to treat the interview with pleasantry, and reconciled them both to it, for I was really apprehensive that Mr. Warner would take it very ill, and think I betrayed him if I let them escape. I supposed, too, that after he had indulged himself in a short triumph all would be over, and they might afterwards meet on better terms. In less than half an hour we heard a loud rap. Lady Sarah turned pale. Sir George laughed at her, but was himself a little disconcerted. The parlour door flew open, a footman entered, Mr. Warner, and in stalked my kinsman with a very stately tread. He was dressed out, I assure you, a large well-powdered wig tied with a rose, a suit of the finest cinnamon-coloured cloth, and over it a surtout of the richest mohair and silk with gold frogs, and a fine clouded cane with a gold head, silk stockings of the same colour with his coat, a fine lace cravat, his hat under his arm. He really looked very gentlemanlike and venerable, for he appears older than he is. He glanced his eyes with a supercilious scorn over my brother and sister, who stood up at his entrance, and making up directly to me saluted me and took his place by me. A short silence ensued which was broken by my asking Mr. Warner to drink a glass of wine. I could almost have smiled at the embarrassment of my brother and Lady Sarah. The old gentleman enjoyed it and looked at them both but as if he knew neither. My brother had recourse to the bottle. He drank my health, and civilly enough bowed to Mr. Warner, just pronouncing the word, Sir. The other scarce returned it by a slight inclination of his head. At last, addressing himself to me, Cousin, if you have no aversion to tobacco, I should be glad you would oblige me with a pipe. "'Tis my custom after dinner, but I have not smoked yet. "'As I had never observed him to do this when he had dined with me before, "'I took it for granted the compliment was meant for Lady Sarah. "'I said I had no objection, and referred myself by a bow to Lady Sarah. "'She made no reply, and my kinsman, without seeming to mind anyone else, "'rang the bell, saying, "'If you don't dislike it, there is no more to be said.' The black whom he had given me, presenting himself at the door, Mr. Warner desired him to stop at his lodgings for his pipe and some tobacco. The man quickly returned with a long japanned reed with a bowl fixed at the end of it. Mr. Warner called for a lighted taper, and throwing himself back in his chair with one leg crossed over the other, lighted his pipe with much composure, puffing large clouds of smoke across Lady Sarah's nose who sat at his right hand. My sister, who had really an unaffected aversion to tobacco, could not bear this. She coughed excessively, and with tears in her eyes rose off her chair and retired to the other end of the room. 
my old gentleman laughed till he wheezed, nodding his head after her and looking at me as much as to say, I am glad I have sent her off. Sir George, though determined not to be put out of humour, thought this was going too far. I was really uneasy myself, and hardly knew how to act, for if I showed any mark of distinction to Lady Sarah, I knew it would be construed by Mr. Warner as an affront to him. I ventured, however, to tell her that if she would step into the drawing-room, I should order coffee and wait on her immediately. "'Aye,' said my brother, approaching his lady and taking her by the hand, "'let us get out of the horrid atmosphere that this honest gentleman has raised about us.' The honest gentleman vouchsafed not to look at him, and my brother and sister withdrew into the adjoining room. As soon as they were gone, Mr. Warner threw down his pipe, and, stroking the table with his clenched fist, burst into a loud laugh. "'Lord, Lord!' said he. "'Pride will have a fall. I think I have brought them down a little. How like asses they both looked! Well, now I am satisfied. I have had my revenge. You may go and drink your coffee with them. I will bid you good-bye.' He immediately withdrew, and I joined my brother and sister, who were heartily rejoiced that they had got rid of him. Sir George said he saw his design, but was resolved not to give an opportunity for insults, and so held his tongue. "'As he is your friend, Sidney,' said he, "'I would not distress you by engaging you as a party on either side, which must have been the case, for that old fellow would not have suffered you to remain neutral.' I told him our kinsman was whimsical, but that, as he was now thoroughly satisfied at having paid them in kind, I was sure he would never again seek to give them any offence, and they ought to forgive him by the law of retaliation. They laughed at the singularity of his manner, and the whole passed off in mirth, though Lady Sarah declared he had made her quite sick with his nauseous tobacco. March the 3rd The ridiculous scene of yesterday, my Cecilia, for a while called off my thoughts, from the melancholy subject which is now nearest my heart. I mean the shocking account which Sir George gave me of Mrs. Can I bear to call her Falkland? But it now recurs to me with all its horrors. Oh, my dear, what a fatal wretch have I been to Mr. Falkland! My best purposes by some unseen power are perverted from their ends. I wonder the food which I take to nourish me is not converted into poison when I touch it. But I will calm my troubled mind with this reflection, that I meant not to do evil. Mr. Falkland, ignorant of his own misfortune, may, as hundreds of others in the same situation are, still be happy, if that light creature has but a single grain of honour or gratitude. I will not think of it, anticipating, as you used to call me. I will banish the hateful idea from my mind. March the twelfth. What do you think, my Cecilia? Mrs. Gerard has eloped from her husband, and is now at Paris, in quality of mistress to a young nobleman, who maintains her in vast splendour. I had this news in a letter from Mrs. Falkland to-day. Poor Peavey wrote his master an account of it. Upon Mr. Arnold's death, 
Pivet, tired of the termagant spirit and intolerable coquetry of his wife, was very glad to relax his discipline, and declared were he to have had a thousand a year he would not undertake to keep her within bounds, and that nothing but his great respect for Mr. Falkland could have engaged him in the task so long. He acknowledges that he is very glad to be rid of her, and as Mr. Falkland enabled him to set up very handsomely in his business, I really think he is happy in his loss. March the 14th. I have been deeply affected, my Cecilia, within these two days. If it had not been in my power to relieve the distress I have been a witness to, how unhappy it would have made me. I was stepping out of my chariot yesterday morning, when a young woman who stood at my door in an old linen gown presented to me a little bandbox open and filled with artificial flowers. She spoke not, but the silent anguish in her looks drew my attention. She seemed about eighteen and very pretty, as an appearance of industry I think doubles the claim which the poor have to our compassion. I took out of her box a small sprig of jessamine, very naturally imitated, and asked the young woman if she made those flowers herself she modestly replied she did and cannot you child said i find any one who would give you constant employment in this way to prevent your wandering about the streets to dispose of your work she answered yes madam but i have a poor decrepit father in jail who cannot be without my assistance i live with him and only come out once a week to sell my flowers I might go to service, but he would die if I were to leave him. Her gentle speech, her youth, and the unaffected tender sorrow that appeared in her face when she spoke of her father, touched me to the heart. I bade her come in, and taking her into the parlour, was desirous to ask her some questions. "'You look,' said I, "'as if you had not been bred in poverty. Pray, what is your father?' she blushed and with downcast eyes replied a clergyman madam a clergyman i repeated what misfortunes for such i must suppose they were drove him to the distressed situation you mention it was a misfortune madam and not any crime answered the girl with tears in her eyes my father is as good a man as ever was born I asked his name, and she told me it was Price. My curiosity was excited by her manner. I desired her to sit down and relate to me the particulars of her story. She obeyed with a sensible politeness that pleased me. About twelve years ago, said she, my father had a little cure in Berkshire he was reckoned a fine preacher and a very great scholar and what was more than either one of the best of men in the parish to which my father belonged lived a gentleman of a very great estate his name was ware he was himself a very worthy man and had so high an opinion of my father that he pitched upon him to go abroad in quality of governor to his only son then a youth of about nineteen. 
as my father had travelled in the same capacity once before he was very well qualified for the employment and had no objection to the acceptance of it but his leaving my mother of whom he was very fond and me his only child then scarce more than an infant the elder mr ware assured him he would be a friend and guardian to us both and so he was and that he would in his absence allow us double the income which my father received from his cure this together with the appointment which he was to receive as his son's governor was too handsome an offer to be refused especially as the gentleman promised he would never want a patron in him while he lived and everybody knew he had interest enough to make his promise of consequence my father was then past fifty but as he was of a very healthy strong constitution he did not think it too late to undertake for the good of his family what he said was a very troublesome task i could not help interrupting the young gentlewoman to ask her how it came to pass that her father such a man as she represented him to be was not better provided for at this time of life especially as she said he had before been entrusted with the care of a pupil whom i presumed to be a person of fortune as scarce any others are sent to travel she said he had a small patrimony of his own and that his original design was to study physic but being persuaded by the particular love he bore a young gentleman to whom he was private tutor at the university to go abroad with him he had for some years while they continued on their travels been obliged to decline this study when he had brought his pupil safe back to england he intended to pursue it and for this purpose was preparing to go to leyden but the gentleman who really had an affection for him declared he could not part with him and that if he would consent to stay and take holy orders he would get him a living which was in his father's gift a nobleman then alive as soon as it should become vacant of which there was a good prospect on account of the age of the incumbent and that in the meantime he should live with him as the young gentleman had been married immediately after his return from his travels to a lady of a vast fortune and was settled with a family of his own about him my father who fondly loved him did not disrelish the proposal and without much difficulty consented to it he now laid aside the thoughts of physic and turned his attention to the study of divinity nor was he in haste for the promised livings being vacated as he was resolved not to take orders till he was properly qualified for the holy profession he was now destined to he continued thus four years with his young patron the gentleman who possessed the living though very sickly still holding it my father then being inclined to go into orders his friend got him nominated to a cure in town the duties of which he constantly performed for two years still living with his benefactor but it was his misfortune then to lose him he was drowned in crossing a deep water on horseback which he thought was fordable my poor father had now lost as it proved his only friend though he then but lamented him as a son he loved and i have heard him say he was more afflicted for his death than his real father was 
as that nobleman was well acquainted with his son's intentions in regard to his tutor my father had no doubts of his fulfilling them especially as he had given his promise to do so about this time the curate of the parish in berkshire which i mentioned to you before having a mind to make an exchange for one in london where all his friends lived proposed it to my father who had been at college with him as he had now no attachment in town and preferred a country life he readily agreed to the change and having first waited on the father of his late friend to remind him of his promise which he again confirmed he went down to berkshire here it was he fell in love with my mother who was the daughter of the rector whose cure he served she liked him and as her father looked upon him as a man certain of preferment and every way esteemable in his character he did not scruple to give her to him in a few months after their marriage the incumbent of the long promised living died my father immediately waited on the nobleman so sure of success that he thought he should have nothing to do but to thank him for it but that lord told him with a pretended concern that he had disposed of it having heard that my father was well provided for in berkshire and had married a lady of great fortune he returned home shocked and disappointed more on account of the family he had married into than on his own he now found himself at nearly forty years of age with a family coming on him and no other provision than a curacy of forty pounds a year my grandfather pretended he had been deceived by him and made that excuse for withdrawing all his favour from him my mother had children pretty fast but they all died young excepting myself and as he loved her too well to let her feel the inconvenience of straitened circumstances he was content to let his own little patrimony which he had preserved till now gradually waste for my grandfather never gave her any fortune at his death which happened a few years after it appeared he could not for he left but a little behind him in this situation my father having lost all hopes of being better provided for with the melancholy reflection of having thrown away the best part of his days in a fruitless attendance and expectation dragged on a life of obscurity and toil for eleven years and then it was that mr ware applied to him in the manner i have mentioned i told this amiable girl i was glad i had interrupted the thread of her story as by that means she had obliged me with so many interesting particulars of her family and then requested she would proceed she bowed with a pretty modest grace and went on i informed you madam that my father having accepted of the tuition of mr ware's son prepared to attend him on his travels he took his leave very reluctantly of my poor mother and me whom he tenderly recommended to mr ware's patronage and set out with the young gentleman having give up his cure as his absence was to be of long continuance mr ware who was a truly good man was punctual in the performance of his promise towards my mother and me and behaved while my father was away like a second parent his son continued abroad upwards of four years and returned a very accomplished gentleman mr ware was exceedingly pleased with my father's conduct for which he told him both his son and himself 
owed him the utmost gratitude he has now far advanced in years and grown indolent from infirmities he therefore thought it better to be himself the rewarder of my father's merit than take upon him the trouble of soliciting other people to provide for him and accordingly resolved to give him an annual income of two hundred pounds during his life he told him at the same time that as his estate was entailed it was not in his power to confirm this grant by a will but he was sure his son was too sensible of what he owed him not to promise in the most solemn manner to continue to him this income when he should come to his inheritance the young gentleman who was present handsomely acknowledged the obligations he had to my father and assured him he thought he could never sufficiently repay him my father who now wished for nothing more than to sit down peaceably on a competency thought himself very happy he retired to his little house in berkshire where my mother and i lived and gave himself up to domestic contentment End of section 38